Our reading this morning is from Luke. Uh, when they had finished everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee, to their own town of Nazareth. The child grew and became strong, filled with wisdom, and the favor of God was upon him. Now every year his parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up as usual for the festival. When the festival was ended, they had started to return. The boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but his parents did not know it. Assuming that he was in the group of travelers, they went a day's journey. Then they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they not, did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem to search for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who had heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Child, why have you treated us like this? Look, your father and I have been searching you for, for you in great anxiety. He said to them, Why were you searching for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he had said to them. Then he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was obedient to them. His mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in years and in divine and human favor. The word of God for the people of God. I can't help but to hear that story and think about what would have happened at Camp Ostrom if we came up missing with campers. <laughs> Our staff are trained constantly to, tr- to count, right? may not be who's missing, but it may be that you don't have everybody there yet. They may be in the infirmary. They might be in the kitchen. They may, not in the kitchen, but in the dining hall. They may be in their cabins, but we're constantly counting. So maybe that, hadn't, maybe that concept hadn't taken hold in Jesus' day. What do you think? Wow. When I hear this story, I think about the Bible, and really, we don't get a whole lot of information about Jesus' childhood, do we? Nothing. Nothing. This story in Luke is the only mention of Jesus' childhood. Back in Matthew, Matthew talks about baby Jesus and his parents heading off to Egypt after because King Herod was trying to find all the baby boys and kill them and the, because he knew a king was coming. But Jesus really didn't say anything up until now. And here, he's 12 years old. How many of your all's children really, has, they really have no, nothing recorded until they're 12? Are anything recorded, especially in the Bible, in God's Word. Twelve years of age is an interesting age that Jesus' biblical recording started of his actual voice, right? Because what would happen in 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 a Jewish family up until that time? 
12-year-old was a 12-year-old was a point in which they actually became men at 13. You go from 12 to 13, actually considered man. They would have a bar mitzvah. They have a celebration, so forth and so on. Still occurs today. And when I was an early youngster growing up and I was in college, I had an opportunity to go to a bar mitzvah. Um, I worked at a summer camp up in New Hampshire, and I had an opportunity to go to a bar mitzvah with the family I was staying. Their, young, their oldest son was actually getting ready to hit 13, and it was a very interesting experience because I grew up, as you'll hear in just a little bit, in the mountains of Virginia. We don't have many synagogues in the mountains of Virginia. So that was an interesting thing. But let's look at a couple pieces of the puzzle that may help us understand this. First of all, that this is the only inspired biblical recorded incident in the youthful years of Jesus Christ. Secondly, in this account are recorded the very first words that Jesus Christ said. So it has to be something to this. It has to be something powerful to, to, to everything because it wouldn't even have been written down. Third, and this is pretty interesting. This is the last time that Joseph is mentioned in the life of Jesus Christ, period. So we don't know if um, he had passed away. We don't know really what happened, but the, some scholars seem to believe that, Je- that Joseph passed away sometime after this instant, instance before Jesus Christ began his public ministry. It may well be that the last mention of Joseph is due to the importance of this text um, and the incident that it records. And lastly, real quick, before we get started, the actions of Jesus Christ in the minds of his parents, Mary and Joseph, appeared to be wrong. The words to Mary uh, clearly to Jesus clearly implied the assumption that something was wrong in what Jesus had done. And it conveyed a gentle rebuke. If this child was any other child but Jesus Christ, we would all agree that he was probably wrong. What is is it then that makes Jesus' actions proper in this instance? when they would not have been proper for any other 12-year-old. Well, like I mentioned earlier, uh, Scripture gives few details about Christ's, Christ's young childhood. For example, God's Word provides only a basic outline, really, of the period from Adam to Noah, over 2,000 years, uh, in which there were probably hundreds and thousands of people Um, had lived, maybe even millions, but very little was recorded on that as well. But here's something we do know. uh, Jesus had four uh, younger brothers. Jesus was the oldest. How many of y'all are the oldest in your family, kids? I am too. Uh, And he had at least two sisters. They're all from the same mother, and Jesus' brothers and sisters were from the union of Mary and Joseph. Jesus' brothers were from the union of Mary and Joseph. As do siblings and other families, I'm sure Jesus' brothers and sisters looked up to their big brother. And when they fell into mischief, I'm sure that 
Jesus was there to set everything right, wouldn't you say? And when I was growing up and when I was young, I wanted to find out as much as I could about Jesus and about the person that he was, what games he played, um, how did he deal with his brothers and sisters, because I had a younger and a brother and a younger sister, and what time did he have to go to bed. I wanted to use that as my, at my advantage, but I couldn't find any information. What did he eat and so on. And as an adult, I still try to do some research on how families grew up during that time period that Jesus' recorded childhood in this instance. I'm certain that Jesus' earthly father, Joseph, had some influence on his development. Joseph, of course, was a carpenter, and we know Jesus was a carpenter, so therefore that influence probably was passed down from generation to generation. But I will tell you that if I grew up and my parents had to walk a day and look for me for two days, they wouldn't be as gracious as Mary and Joseph. I know that for a fact. Now, they're not taking a car ride. They're walking. They would not have been as gracious to me, I'm certain. So, we know from this instant that God, God's grace and God's spirit was with Jesus Christ, even in his early childhood, don't we? He was probably more advanced than most 12-year-olds at that given period of time because he probably could grasp God's words, and he had the Old Testament, he had the Torah, and other spiritual principles and so forth that he could grasp rather quickly. We also see that Jesus was raised in a, in a really in a religious household. Because if he wasn't in a religious household, his family wouldn't be coming to the festival of the Passover, or any festival for that matter, or the festival of the days of unleavened bread. Listen to this that I found while doing research for the sermon. Interestingly, social scientists today have confirmed that the benefits of young people growing up in a religious, have confirmed the benefits for children growing up in a religious environment. This director of the Center for Research of Marriage, Pat Fagan, said he compiled of findings of over 100 independent social scientists over a 20-year period on the effect that church attendance had on the lives of young people. He said that when policymakers consider the grave social problems, including violence, illegitimacy, substance abuse, and so forth, that they should heed the findings in the professional literature of the social scientists, social sciences on the positive consequences that flow from faithful youth attendance. I guess I really haven't introduced myself yet, have I? I probably need to do that. Um, my name is Terry Patterson. I'm the executive director at Camp Astroma. Camp Astroma is a Methodist camp. It's located about 15 miles north northeast of here. And I've been there for about six months. I've had the opportunity to visit your church several times. Um, you all probably didn't know I was here, but I'm no one special. I sit in the back and listen, and I really enjoy the music. I really enjoy this message and the music. You really have some really talented musicians in this church. I'm honored to be with you here today. 
And I will say that we've had several young people from your congregation at Camp Astroma this summer. About midsummer, we were we had around 800. Well, beginning of summer, we had about 800 campers registered, and we thought that was really good because last summer we had about 820. Um, but the numbers continued to rise, so we must be doing, on behalf of God, be doing something right, uh, because the numbers continued to rise. And this morning, when I well last night when I looked, we were at 1,000. 89 campers for the summer. We've had almost, almost, not including last week and this coming week, almost 200 decisions made for Christ from young people. That's pretty powerful. I'm originally from the mountains of Virginia. Uh, I am not a uh, Louisianian, but I've spent a lot of time in North Carolina, in Florida. I've directed uh, summer camps camping for my entire life, and when Christ started being taken out of camp, out of secular camps, then I took myself out of secular camps. When you couldn't say grace anymore, and you couldn't have vespers, and you couldn't pray, I was out. I said, I've had enough, this is not for me, and there's no changing it. So, but working with young people throughout the the summer is very rewarding, and at Camp Astroma, it's very rewarding because we strive to make a difference in the lives of campers, in the lives of young people, in the lives of families, in the lives of our counselors. We have about 30 counselors throughout the summer, dealing with everything from our waterfront to um, paintball to counseling young people in cabins. So it's a very interesting time. But we really have a wonderful, a wonderful time. Our vision statement, we're getting ready to put up on the board here, is First, to develop disciples. Uh, Campers are taught at Camp Astroma that God loves them. They're taught the gospel of the good news of Jesus Christ and the amazing gifts of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. They're introduced to the importance of the study of God's word, and they learn the value to pray and how to pray and, and setting patterns in their Christian growth. Very similar to this story. Next, they form relationships, form friendships. They build positive friendships uh, that deepen their loyalty, compassion, love, honesty, patience, acceptance, and selflessness. And campers, they learn to be good listeners and to show self-control of their emotions. Next, we impact the lives of young people forever. Appreciation of the outdoors, a positive, meaningful relationship with our staff members. We live in a Christian community. Uh, we experience good, wholesome fun. I want to do a sermon sometime on what the Bible says about having fun. Because there are a lot of fun things that happen in the Bible. And just to be sticks in the mud, you have to have fun in life. But laughter and overcoming fears and being safe both, both spiritually inside and physically outside. So those are our um, that's our main vision statements, just so you'll know. But I'm happy to share some more about Campus Drum as we go along, uh, but I want to get back to the story and the focus on what we went to this morning. I heard a quote when I was doing research for this, and this is the quote. See how this resonates with you. If we do not teach children to follow Christ, the world's going to teach them not to. Something to be said for that. 
I don't know who said it, but it's pretty interesting, and it really makes sense. Today's sermon title is what? Me learn? Uh, You've got to be kidding. I don't know about each of y'all, but I'm a learner. I like to learn. I learn different ways. I thrive in obtaining information. Sometimes I get overloaded, as I'm sure you do. Sometimes I forget stuff because my brain can't handle anymore. Sometimes I say I can't handle any more information, and other times I just let it go in one ear and out the other. I think it's a guy thing, don't you think? Um, But I listen to the radio, and I listen to television, watch television, and that could be dangerous too. But today I'm going to try to share with you some information on what the importance of Christian education, on educating young people and tying it into this story about Jesus. Young people are like sponges, aren't they? When you get to a certain age, they absorb a, can absorb a lot more than, than I sense that I can absorb. But they really do. And they do listen. Let's talk about Jesus' family life a little bit. We know that Mary and Joseph were, they furnished a God-centered home for Jesus Christ, didn't they? Don't know what that was from, but his commandments, his way of life, undoubtedly, It was one of the reasons that God chose Mary and Joseph to be his earthly parents. Wouldn't you think? Maybe. I don't know. But after the festival of the Passover, the entire caravan was heading home, away from Jerusalem, and it was discovered that Jesus just wasn't there. How in the world could they have gone so far without realizing that? What do you think? Well, first of all, I think Jesus must have been someone who had earned his parents' respect. Wouldn't you think? Um, They were obviously, they relied on Jesus to act in a responsible way. Perhaps um, at that time, the um, parents probably didn't travel together in the caravan. Maybe Mary was in the front or Joseph was in the front of the caravan and vice versa, the other one, they were in the back of the caravan and they thought they were with the other one, or maybe they were with friends or other family, that kind of thing. I don't know, but I know that um, their oldest child, Jesus, probably was very reliable and very dependable in his, as a youth, as a young person. If he, if he had been unpredictable or immature, I'm sure there would have been a, probably a need to oversee him a little bit closer. So they probably assumed um, that he was traveling with somebody else. But this understandable behavior on their part, this was understandable because Jesus really didn't give them any context for acting any other way. So they were startled to find that he wasn't with the caravan, and and that filled them with concern, and they spent the next day traveling back to Jerusalem. While I was preparing for this sermon, it sent me back a little bit thinking about my days growing up in summer, going to summer camp and going to vacation Bible school. And how many of y'all have heard the story of Samson and Delilah? Have you heard that story? Well, Samson was, I think, a Philistine. And Samson was known for his strength, mighty strength. But Samson had real long hair, and Samson's hair was contributed to his strength. Well, Delilah found out that his strength 
was tied into his hair, and she cut his hair. So he lost all of his strength. He was taken captive. Um, And he eventually um, was tied and chained to the pillars of a building of the temple. And after his hair grew back, he pushed the pillars, killed himself and everybody inside. I know that's a pretty morbid story to tell on a, on a morning and we're talking about Jesus Christ and, and being left behind at the temple. But um, the, the people at the summer camp that I attended must have called my parents. And back then, it was during the 70s, my hair was a lot longer than it is now. My hair is long. My hair will grow, but it is white now. But it will grow, and it will grow quite quickly. Really, I have to probably cut my hair every week. But during that summer, they called and asked my parents if they could cut my hair as part of this role-playing thing we were doing with Samson and Delilah at summer camp. So they gave them the okay. They cut my hair. Needless to say, long story short, I liked it. I liked the feel of it, and I just kept it like that. So that's one of the things that I thought about why I was preparing this story. But I do love the feel of no hair. Uh, and it's a lot less maintenance. Um, when they found Jesus on the third day after looking for him for three days, um, I'm sure they were pretty, pretty uh, hot. But when they found Jesus, he was both, get this, and this was read earlier, Jesus was listening to them and asking questions. You can gather a lot of information by the questions that people ask you and by the listening that you do, parents as well as young people. You can gather a lot of information from listening because when I attended a class in summer and in, in college, we were talked about, talk, told about communication. There's a two-way street, a sender and a receiver, and there's noise in between, but there's always a sender and a receiver for there to be communication. Well, in this instance, both Jesus was both listening to the Sanhedrin and asking them questions. Rather than being annoyed, the Sanhedrin were astounded by Jesus' questions and responses. Do you think maybe that was the start of the Sanhedrin and the Pharisees going, hmm, this is pretty interesting. Luke's account says that all who heard him were astounded, astonished by his understanding and his answers. So once Mary and Joseph found Jesus, they found he was safe. At the same time, they were probably taken back a little bit because Jesus didn't probably seem too concerned that they had to travel three days and had been looking for him. They were probably surprised about his lack of appreciation for the anxiousness that he had caused. Mary took the lead in asking the questions of Jesus. Seems that Joseph stayed quiet, didn't he? I don't know why. Very interesting study to find out. But now Mary sought an answer from Jesus. But Jesus' mother showed 
wisdom and self-control in that she first inquired about his son's intent. What, did he, was, what was his intention? Like I said earlier, I don't think my parents would have been so, so happy. She said, son, why have you done this to us? Why? Look at your father. Well, look, your father and I have sought you anxiously. Many parents have probably lashed out and um, let anger manage their frustration in that situation. But apparently she knew that Jesus had never been irresponsible or rebellious in any way. And she sought an, un, an honest understanding of what he was doing. Jesus responded by saying this, Why did you seek me? Well, you weren't there. You'd been gone for three days. That would have been my answer. Did you not know that I must be about my father's business? Wow. Wow. Jesus didn't give him prior warning that he intended to remain in Jerusalem. Perhaps he had hoped that they would conclude that he had more important work to accomplish somewhere else and not to worry about it. He was 12. I'm sure Jesus' Jesus's parents had some really profound conversations with Jesus as he was growing up, don't you think? His mother could tell him about his birth. His mother could tell him about Egypt. His mother could tell him about Gabriel coming and telling her who he was. And also Joseph could tell him the same thing. But one thing's for certain, that Jesus had a strong grasp of his purpose for being here on earth, didn't he? The zeal to please his heavenly Father and to do the work of his God, uh, work of God, would have burned strongly in him in the time of his of his young life. With regard to education, how in the world do we expect future generations to learn how what it means to be a Christian, how to live, how to grow, how do we deal with difficulties? God's not always going to give us a mountaintop to stay on, is he? It's going to, there are going to be a lot of valleys. How do we know what we need to know? Or will we ever know that? But one, one thing's for certain in this story is that Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. You know, there's one other place in the Bible that talks about someone increasing in wisdom. And that's in Acts 9. But Saul kept increasing in strength and confounding the Jews who lived in Damascus by proving that this Jesus is the Christ. What's interesting about that, about that, about that verse? That was before Saul's conversion to Paul. Isn't that something? But what if we didn't have any, what if we didn't have the Bible? What if we didn't have any background to tell us what we needed to know to live our lives? The Bible is a perfect example and it tells us how we should live. I'll never forget the time 
that I came home from college, I was so excited about being able to learn. Because in high school, I could skate by. I could skate by in not really doing a whole, exhibiting a whole lot of effort. But in college, it wasn't the same. But I finally learned how to learn. Because you have to do that. You have to learn how to do that. I'll never forget coming home from college and telling my grandmother, she was asking, do you know about this? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I got this. I know how to do that. And, boy, she set me straight real fast. And I finally realized that I was just excited about learning and figuring out how to learn rather than knowing everything because there is a great big difference, and she set me straight, believe me. So, in conclusion, there are two things. One, growth in God's Word takes time. Jesus went through the same period of childhood and adolescence that we go through. Sometimes we're in a great big hurry. Sometimes we get in a hurry that there's not a whole lot of time. We get in a hurry with life, but we're tempted to skip the growing up part. Sometimes we have to grow up too early. Sometimes we're 12 going on 20. Well, God is not in such a hurry, is he? He's more interested in the process it takes us to learn rather than the actual outcome. Because how many here continue to learn about God's Word and about the Holy Spirit and what the Bible tells us? Probably everyone. And lastly, we sometimes experience, just like Jesus Christ did in this story, a tension between our responsibilities to God and our fellow man. True, it's a little bit different in Jesus' case because Jesus' parents honor your father and your mother. But sometimes those responsibilities conflict so much that we have to choose one over the other, don't we? In fact, Brian was just telling me a story uh, in Sunday school this morning about, um, about a decision that, that young people have to make between going to an athletic event and going to um, a church-related event. There's all the time that conflict. Well, please, please continue to pray for Campus Stroma. Pray for the impact that that ministry is having on these young people. Um, continue to send your young people. I know that there have been at, at several decisions, and I just sent, sent a note to your pastor, several decisions for Christ this summer from, from the United Methodist Church of Zachary uh, that young people have made, and we're very excited for that, and we want you to walk along, alongside those young people uh, and be good disciples to them. So thank you very much. I appreciate the opportunity. And uh, please come out and join us at Camp Astroma at your convenience. Thank you.